Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. We've got a very special episode for you today. We're joined by a special guest, Frank Forte, writer, illustrator, publisher at Asylum Press Comics. And Frank has done a number of storyboards on some horror movies that we're sure that you know. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Hey, Doza. Uh, great to be here. Uh, we're going to talk all things comics, horror, illustration, storyboards, film. And uh, yeah, just great to be here. Yeah, we're huge horror comic nerds, obviously horror in general. It's just so interesting to see that dichotomy between how horror translates on the screen versus how it functions in a comic book format. So at Asylum Press, you guys really go into the pre-code horror comics. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so like one of the titles we publish is Vampires. And, you know, if you guys, I know some people are listening on the podcast, some people might be on YouTube. Um, AsylumPress.com is where you can see some of the stuff if you want a visual. But um, we've been publishing as Asylum Press since about 1999. We've done a bunch of books, Vampire Verses. We've done stuff with Robert Ryan from Girls and Corpses. But the book you're talking about, yeah, is called uh, Vampires. And what it is, is we are working with uh, Steve Baines, who was one of the editors, I guess, that worked with uh, Craig Yo over at IDW when they did the Haunted Horror comic book. And he was one of the people that brought in some of his books from his collection. And they would, um, you know, take scans from the original comics from his collection and, you know, recolor them, touch them up, and then put them out in these curated collections. And it was all pre-code horror stuff, the non-EC stuff. And they would kind of curate them into zombies, swamp creatures, love stories. So they were going to do, you know, vampires. I think that was the next thing. But when IDW started having problems, they didn't want to continue doing the haunted horror book. So Steve came to me and said, hey, I've got all these vampire stuff. Let's put out a book. So we decided vampires. We put out two of them. The second one is out and we're going to do a third and then like collect it into a trade. But it's pretty much Steve looking at some of his favorite vampire stories from the pre-code era and then touching them up and then we put them out in these collections. So yeah, that's that's the vampires book. That's one of the books that Asylum Press puts out. That was honestly the first thing that drew me to you. It was something that I thought was so unique, something I hadn't seen other companies doing. And it was just this endless rabbit hole since I don't even know how many Asylum Press comics I have at this point. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I wouldn't say we're the only ones that do it. I think um, PS Art Books out of the UK, they collect the pre-code stuff, but they collect them as they were published. So it's like they do these big, thick collections with all the ads that were in there in the order that they were with the covers. And that's cool to see, too, if you're like a collector and you want to see how these were originally presented we do more of kind of like a curated approach the way Haunted Horror was, where we um, just kind of pick the best of the best and put them out. Because even though there's pre-code and then there's post-code, which obviously a lot of people don't like as much because there's less gore. and there's le- But even when you look at the pre-code stuff, it's shocking, but it's not... It's not as shocking as the stuff you can see today or the stuff you saw in the 90s, like Faust or Cry for Dawn or anything like that. I mean, but it's cool to see like what they thought was shocking then compared to what the postcode stuff was. Um, and then obviously, you know, everybody, most people agree that the EC stuff was probably the, the, the most well-written, well-drawn, but it's still cool to see this other stuff, you know? I always love seeing how horror has evolved. And again, that was really what drew me here in the first place, uh, especially having that comparison between the pre-code vampires book and then some of the later vampire things you guys are publishing. How does the pre-code stuff inform how you guys are moving forward and what kind of stories you want to tell? Well, like we, we've always been kind of an anthology publisher. So even in the early 90s, when I was working with Cry for Dawn, we did a book called Insidious Tales. And I was um, always a contributor. I've contributed to Cry for Dawn. I think I did some stuff for Flowers on the Razor Wire. Um, then Joe Monks did Night Cry, and I was a contributor to that. So I always liked the short story genre. Then when I formed Asylum Press, we did Asylum of Horrors. That was our like flagship anthology. And we worked with Robert Ryan from Girls and Corpses, which you probably know that magazine. We did three books with him, Satan's Powder Room, 
uh, chicken soup for Satan and Satan gone wild. And then we collect that collected those into Satan's three ring circus of hell, which was like a big trade paperback collection. I am currently going through that one <laughs> yeah, with, with like uh, Satan is kind of like the horror host. So we've always liked the anthology stuff, but we also have books like Steve Mannion's Fearless Dawn, you know, which is kind of like more a comedic superhero tale. And we have Warlash, which is another one of my books, which is kind of like a um, Judge Dredd RoboCop meets like the Scorpion. Um, so that's kind of like a futuristic sci-fi thing. Detox is very heavy metal, futuristic, post-apocalyptic. Um, Undead Evil is a story about, you know, voodoo. It's It kind of mixes Lovecraft with voodoo. Now, a lot of these stories have been published in print but some like undead evil was only published digitally so we're trying to finish that up we're going to run a kickstarter and we're going to finally put it out in print we did like a number zero years ago but it's another story that is begging to be completed vampire versus was kind of like my black and white vampire tale that was inspired by all that anime from the 90s all that kind of adult anime that i saw and i wanted to do something that was inspired by anime but I wanted, you know, I loved vampires, so I wanted to do this demonic vampire book. So Vampire Versus was another tale. We did four issues. You know, it's another story that we, you know, have to finish. Um, vampire Macabre, that's another new story that we, uh, uh, anthology that we um, kickstarted. It's a, a couple of one shots, but inside there are short stories, but also we're developing the characters. Nosferazix is like a mm -hmm. vampire dominatrix. Uh, Zephira is a post-apocalyptic vampire in a Mad Max type world. And then in the back, there are like kind of these one shot twisted tales that may or may not have characters like Tim Vigil did a story called The Crypt. And it's about this cat that kind of wanders into a crypt and finds this vampire. And um, I did another story about Transylvania vampires that were hosting these wine tasting and drawing these people in to do this wine tasting in this castle. And then they would turn the, you know, turn everything around. And, you know, instead of drinking the wine, they're drinking their blood and they turn them. So that was like kind of like a one-off thing. Um, so we have done anthologies, but to be honest, anthologies are a difficult sell, even though they are, the foundation of horror comics and what horror comics were in the fifties. And then you had eerie and creepy in the seventies and you had DC doing house of mystery. There was a lot bigger fan base for that stuff. So even though we love it, it's like a labor of love. We really need to do more with like horror characters. So we're kind of developing that to get a bigger reader base and have some ongoing stories um, with our horror comics, but we'll, we'll always do the, anthology so anyone that's out there that's listening if you like horror <laughs> comic anthologies you know go to our website and definitely support us because it's um you know we it, it's i would say it's difficult the way the market is today to um pull a profit so any fans that don't know our books that want to check us out it's always helpful yeah i definitely uh i would recommend vampire macabre i actually got a copy right here in front of me <laughs> oh, cool. I, I love the sort of like sample platter you get of all these awesome characters right. that I truly would love to see fleshed out in the future. And totally. I, I did actually have a question because in the back of uh, issue one that I have here is an advertisement for something called Anomaly Machine. Right. That that cover is unbelievable. And with the tagline, the paranormal just got weird. Yes, you, you sold me instantly. What What is what is this? What is going on with that? Anomaly Machine is a book I've been working on with a uh, South American artist, uh, Jock. There, there's a Marvel artist, J-O-C-K Jock, but there's also J-O-K Jock, who's kind of an upcoming creator. He's done a lot of stuff in Argentina and stuff. Um, so we have the first issue done. It's another book we want to kickstart, but it's kind of like my characters that are like, the Doom Patrol meets like paranormal. So if you want to compare <laughs> stuff, Doom Patrol meets like October Faction or something like that, where there's all these different characters that have these different paranormal um, abilities. And the main character who's kind of like a Lovecraftian um, magician who has this book. So he's the main character. You have these other ancillary characters that come in and the first 
issue is him bringing this team together. And then the fifth character is the house they live in. So the house is haunted, <laughs> but the house also has a soul. So the house also speaks to these guys. So their home base is like this haunted house that also has this like personality. And um, yeah, it's just another book that, you know, being independent, we need, it's hard to always get the funding that we need, but we do have the first issue pretty much done. And it'll be just something if you get on our newsletter and follow us, we'll be announcing more about it. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. That sounds like, amazing. It's another one of the ongoing horror titles that we want to do, you know, to, you know, build a, a fan base of like these characters and keep people coming back. Whereas the anthologies don't always do that, I guess. And they're not always the most popular mm -hmm. for comic stores to order, even though we have <laughs> a fan base in comic shops. Um, you know, we get a lot of, you know, well, what about your staple characters? Like, you know, when you look at Brian Polito and Coffin Comics, he's got Lady Death and even the Xenoscope guys have their characters and they do anthologies, you know, on the side. But, you know, we need to just set up our characters so that we're known for um, certain series, I guess. So we're working on that. I think our audience is your audience here because, I mean, as a podcast that runs a short film festival, we talk about anthologies a lot. We talk about the art of the short story constantly. It's so amazing to be able to pack a punch in five to ten pages in just this short period of time. When you're trying to build that suspense and have this shock factor, what's your, what's your method? What's the mindset behind that in a short comic story? I mean, I, it, you're right. It is difficult. And in a, and in a comic book, you really have to do it in eight to 10 pages. Sometimes our stories go 12 and in Vampire Macabre, the last story of Bloodwine, I think it went to like 14 or 16 just because I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't tell the story that I wanted in, in, in like eight pages. But like when I was working, uh, of course, I, another thing, I worked as an editor in heavy metal and I was one of the short story guys that tried to bring in, short stories and we would work with creators like Dwayne Harris or Nina Gusunja or other creators that were kind of like writers, artists, colorists, and letters where they would deliver the whole story. And I would tell them like, Hey, you got to deliver a short in eight pages, eight to 10 and make the ending kind of a twist. And I would always have the twist beyond that flip page because like in comics, if you end on a, on a right-sided page, you can kind of give the ending away. So it's always that try to make it so that the shock is the flip page and you get like a nice, I always like doing it with a, with a splash page, like a big gore scene or, uh, you know, it, you know, just something like shocking. And it's just a matter of, you have to set up the character, you have to set up the world, the rules and, you know, a twist and inciting incident keep the gore in there because it's horror. You got to satisfy the, the, the gore lovers. And, um, you know, we work with, you know, with a lot of people that do that, or when I write it, I try to do that. Some of my stuff gets a little long winded. Um, but <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that's, that's the, that's the goal is to try to do it, you know, quickly. And I, I love anthologies. Like I love eerie, creepy house of mystery. Like those guys did it did it great. Like the rights and stuff is amazing. Um, I love looking through all that stuff. It's some of the stuff when I go into dollar bins, I always look, Oh, 1970s DC horror. Mm -hmm. It's in all ripped up and it's like a dollar. I'll get it. And I just love looking through that stuff. I'd rather have the reader copy than like this mint condition copy that I'm worried about, um, you know, destroying or for the collector i like reading them so i just want to get a copy that's been read you know but yeah there, there is an art to the short story and the short film like that's why i like I, it's so cool that the anthologies come back with like black mirror like i loved black mirror and i love um you know cabinet of curiosities and you know they brought mm -hmm. back creep show which is cool on tv oh and, yeah <laughs> you know i love watching the old outer limits and i still like watching the Twilight Zones, you know, they're still good. And the Outer Limits are some that you don't always see that much, but those are also really good, really creepy stories, you know. And people can make fun of sometimes the aliens or how they looked, but the story is is there. And maybe they just didn't have the budget for like something super high tech, but those things creeped me out as a kid and, and they're still, 
really good stories today. So yeah, we like mixing it with horror, with sci-fi, and that's what we were trying to do with heavy metal, of course, you know. Do you feel like seeing these um, horror anthologies coming back to the screen is going to make it easier uh, for the anthology comics to come through? Or do you feel like there isn't much of a crossover between them? It's hard to say if, you know, do, do, do popular movies bring people into comic shops? I think people definitely said that when the boys hit HP, uh, the boys hit um, Amazon, that the boys comics and trades sold like crazy. So people did come back to buy those. Some comic stores said that all those Marvel movies didn't, you didn't see a huge uptick in people that were non-comics readers coming into comic shops to buy, you know, all these Marvel stories that Marvel was then tailoring the comics to look like the movies and the characters were kind of tied into the movies. They're trying to make it like kind of cohesive. Comic shops said they didn't really see like a huge uptick. So I would say probably not, like it wouldn't see a huge sales increase because I think part of the problem with, you know, comic shops is they don't always have stuff in stock. They'll order for that new comic on Wednesday. And if it sells out, they're not going to order it. So someone coming into a comic shop and saying, hey, do you carry vampires from Asylum Press? They'll be like, well, no, that book came out like four months ago and it sold out. We don't have it in stock because we can't really afford to have it in stock. That's why we really just try to do, you know, web sales and Kickstarters and just try to get the book out there because unless we do, we start doing more trade paperbacks, comic shops don't really like to carry the floppies because they just like to sell out of them and get rid of them. But I would hope that, yeah, it would be great if oh more anthologies on TV means more comic sales. That would be awesome. But I, I don't know if it, it necessarily translates, but you can always hope. And Frank, you've worked on a number of horror films, as we mentioned earlier. So you're directly taking this idea of illustration and putting it into motion. How, do you feel like anything gets lost in translation when you're doing that? Like having the page turn not be an option anymore. Um, what does that process look like for you? Well, I mean, like the, the process of, you know, storyboarding and like I've called up here, if, if you guys are watching or if you're on a podcast, you could go to frankfortestoryboards.com. That's my kind of my storyboard site. And I've worked on a lot of horror films. So I've worked on Lovecraft Country, Fantasy Island, Escape Room, Insidious, The Last Key. And, you know, I think it's because it's a film medium. Yeah, I mean, you don't have the option of that flip page. But, you know, with film, you can have sound and you, the way you cut stuff together. You can create shocks all through that, you know, film. And, you know, they're you know, jump scares or jump gags. Sometimes the directors call them. Um, they're like, hey, we're going to do a gag here. We're going to do a gore gag or we're going to do a blood gag. It's funny the way they when they talk about it when we're trying to, you know, come up with it. But mainly for storyboarding, like a lot of times they kind of need me for, you know, the effects shots, like the monster shots or the gore shots because they have to be sent out for a visual effects bid or the company has to know exactly how many shots so they could say, are we in budget? Or it has to be sent out for a practical effect. So that's usually a lot of the stuff that, um, you know, I storyboarded. So like on the Lovecraft Country stuff, even though like certain scenes here, the characters are walking, eventually you come up to, you know, the creature <laughs> gag. And this is like really what they need is to see how the creature is going to interact with the characters do they need a green screen? Can they film it in this forest and then put the creatures in behind them? Do they need to film it twice? Do they need to film a plate? You know, sometimes they need to film the characters walking, then they take the characters out and they film the same scene again so that the monster could be put in between them. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that they need to figure out. And that's the purpose of really what I do when I storyboard is to kind of help the director and the producers figure out what the shots are, how much it's going to cost. And, you know, also to get the best angle and the best shot. And 
you know, a lot of times we do a lot of drawings and a lot of scenes and they have to cut out a lot of it because it's just too many shots. Like they just don't have the liberty or the time in the day to shoot that much. So we'll always, we'll a lot of times end up combining stuff. These are so cool to see behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, you know, Lovecraft Country. You know, a lot of these were, <laughs> oh my God, you know, not used, but you know, this is from, you know, the scene with the Shagath and them, I think it's from episode two or three. I think it's the first time they encounter one, right? I think so. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right before they go into the mansion, it looks like. And then I have other, yeah, this is, this is more like a gore scene. I have other stuff, but I haven't posted it yet. I've got to post it. Um, you know, and then like for <clears throat> Insidious, The Last Key, we kind of did the storyboards I did for that are more rendered and they're colored and wasn't really necessary, but we were building animatics with sound for some of this so that we could watch it and look at the timing. We had a little more time for that for uh, Lovecraft country. They were just standard storyboards, but storyboards don't always need to be rendered with gray tone and color and shadow. They really just need to be black and white. So people could kind of look at them, but sometimes, you know, you just want to go the extra mile and, you know, just do a little extra. And sometimes it could be re read better or you want to put some shadow in there. I mean, it is horror, so it does kind of look better if you add some shading. But yeah, this I was, love that pop of red. Yeah, yeah, the the red and there was, I think there was like the red door had something to do with insidious. Mm -hmm. There was a red door, so that's why we put that in. It comes back in later, like that's how she escaped. So yeah, I mean, you know, and that was working with Adam Robotel. That was really fun. And then you know, escape room. This is an animatic. I could probably show you guys a little bit of this if you want to see. We don't sure. have to watch the whole thing. Yeah, that would absolutely. be awesome. It's more of an animatic of storyboards edited together with sound. And this was from the original, like the first sequence in the movie. I think this is pretty close to what eventually was shot. But you can see we're kind of looking at the script and just working with Adam and just trying to figure out where the shots are going to be, what the visuals are. This is like reselling me on this movie. I literally, I did an <laughs> escape room yesterday and <laughs> this is, watching this in uh, like having a, a sort of like motion animatic, that is. That's awesome. You Really like you, it feels very dynamic. Like even some of like the the snapshots in there that aren't actively in motion. Like you can, you can feel that that's to be able to convey that in a drawing is beyond. Adam likes to edit stuff together to kind of show people or the producers, like how dynamic the scene would be, but not every editor, not every director needs to do that. Like on, this was a fantasy Island. See the boards are pretty basic. There's not a lot of shading. We just had to do them quick. We just had to convey what was happening. Oh, and then that's funny. It was called the plane. Like, you know, movies always have. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. They have to go by the code name. So this is kind of like just basic. And then because this was like a fire shot, we had to get, you know, the effects and to see what was going to be burning, what was going to be practical, what was going to be effects later. So these are kind of quick and less detailed. But it really shows where that suspense build comes in and what, what the emotion that they're trying to convey throughout the movie is this it's such a great tool to have on hand. Yeah, and you know, for that, we just boarded what they needed. People that are listening to the podcast, you can see these storyboards on my storyboard website. And um, it's just a, uh, a tool for the director to go on set and work with the DP and the crew and be like, instead of getting there and like describing the shots, oh, we're going to be low, we're going to be high, we're going to be, you've got a picture of where that cropping is going to be. So they know close up, wide shot what we're going to get, where it's going to be. And it just makes the shoot easier. I mean, anyone that's used storyboards who hasn't used them, when you have storyboards and you get to the set, everybody just knows immediately what's going to be shot, what's an effect shot, what's a practical effect shot. And the shoot just goes by smoother, you know. You guys have Fearless Dawn coming out, and the way that I have gotten to know Fearless Dawn 
feels like such a love letter to that golden age of comics. I was saying to Doza earlier, Fearless Dawn kind of feels like that classic Farzetta girl in a like Warren type universe. Oh, for sure. And Steve is a huge fan of like all those old comics, like, you know, Dave Stevens, Wally Wood, Mark Schultz, like Xenozoic Tales, like Steve just comes out of that inspiration, right? So uh, Fearless Dawn, for people that don't know, is a creation of Steve Mannion, who's like an independent comic creator. He writes, draws, letters, colors, like he's one of those guys that is a one-stop shop. Um, so Fearless Dawn is kind of a female uh, superhero who got her powers from a Joe Jeter, the back of a comic book, a Joe Jeter um you know, uh, super strength kit that you used to see in those comic books where the, you know, the guys like get the strength kit and get strong. She took this kit, got strong, got a costume, and then was hired by this, you know, government organization. And she sometimes teams up with her friend Betty or agent number seven, and they go on these like crazy missions. And it's, you know, part tank girl, part just superheroine, but you know, Steve has a way of doing just adding humor and just having fun with it. Like the pages just explode when you look at them. They're just like this old school comic book with, you know, effects and explosions. And, you know, Fearless Dawn is just running around trying to save the day. And, you know, she's fighting zombies and, you know, mutants and all sorts of great villains. And, you know, it's just a really fun book. So we have a number of one shots that we put out. We put out a book called Fearless Dawn Shorts, which just came out, which was a one shot, which like has six different stories in it. And currently we're going to be doing a series called Fearless Dawn The Bomb, which is her kind of origin story, which we published earlier as just the bomb, but we didn't call it Fearless Dawn. So now we're putting it out in comic book form and also another one shot called uh, Fearless Dawn Cold. And this could be ordered if you could place pre-orders before February 18th in your local comic shop. And it's a one shot. And it's just one of those great stories that um, Fearless Dawn gets trapped in the Arctic and she has to get her way out of it. It's, it's another great way of Steve just telling these stories with these characters and he's doing it, which is interesting in the, I guess the long form way. So you, instead of reading a comic, normally you flip it calendar style and you can go on the website and see some previews, but it's going to flip calendar style. So you're going to read it, not like a traditional comic book, but, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be laid out more like a Sunday newspaper or something. Um, and you can see some pages for those of you on the podcast. We're showing them now, but they're Fearless Dawn, just, again, going on one of her adventures in the, I think it's Arctic or Canada or something. And it's just a really fun, you know, well-drawn, just, you know, Steve is one of those creators that just loves to get in there and draw the comic book panel. Like he'll spend hours drawing these panels and every panel is is a work of art. And he's got this fan base of people that collect his art, collect his drawings, they want commissions. And there's really no other creator like him. Like you do have Eric Powell who does the goon that is similar in style where it's cartoony and it's action adventure. It looks a little bit Kirby, a little bit Dave Stevens, a little bit Wally Wood. And Steve Mannion is, is, is kind of like the same style and inspiration but you know he's definitely his own you know amazing quirky thing and you know i'll set him up with you guys if you want to do a you know podcast interview with him because he's great great. he's funny he's like he can tell stories he can tell more about the characters than than i know and he can tell you what's coming up he's like just a really great interview Yeah, I would love to talk more Fearless Dawn with him. One of the things that I'm loving about Fearless Dawn, and even with something like the Shorts book, sure, it's a number of stories that don't specifically connect, but 
Uh, they all exist in the world of Fearless Dawn. Like you said, zombies, dinosaurs. It really brings back that golden age of comics. And Steve makes it feel so organic. Like, I don't question that all of these things exist in Fearless Dawn's world. They are always a constant threat. She's going to run from one problem into the next. No, exactly. And, um, you know, over the years we've published, the, the, the publishing was kind of sporadic because Steve had to take other jobs and, you know, Indie comics don't always bring in the great a great revenue where you can do it full time. So, for some of the years here, we've done a lot of one shots like Fearless Dawn Chibi Finale, Fearless Dawn Eye of the Beholder, um, Fearless Dawn Outer Space, Fearless Dawn Hard Times. Like some of these books, they would come out once a year, once every nine months. So it's not the best way to build a following. We want to collect these into some trades because in Steve's mind, we're on like the ninth or 10th issue. Like it all (laughs) kind of flows as one story. But in putting when you publish comics and you're putting out one issue a year, it's not the best thing to put out one, two, three, four. So we decided to put out one shot. So it would always be like a number one where you'd always kind of get more people buying the number one and stores would order it. So that was really kind of what we decided. But the reality is all these stories have, they're all connected and it's all one storyline. Even as you were saying with the bomb being her origin and um, it being from that, like you said, the back of a, a comic ad, that transition kind of paralleling back into hard times with the super soldier antidote really, it really makes for a dynamic range of where Dawn's story is going. Like I have a better idea of it, even though I haven't read the bomb yet. Yeah, right. And that's what the thing is, like, we wanted to have a jumping on point for a lot of the readers where, you know, if you missed the bomb trade paperback, which you could still find, but it's kind of pricey because I don't know, it just went up in value. It really won't come up because it was called the bomb. So we just want to yeah, bring readers start from the beginning and get her origin story. And hopefully from there, we might put out the old issues again. And do them in order, or maybe we'll put out some trades. We're not sure yet, but you know, and in in between, like there was this one, Fearless Dawn. There was the four issue color miniseries, which was happened after the bomb. And here it's like sixteen years later after the bomb, they have this story, and this story was great. And Steve probably has some stories that fit in that fifteen year period too. But this miniseries was called um, Belly of the Beast, and that was the four-color, the four-issue full-color miniseries. And that, we still have some issues available on our website. Um, Then Fearless Dawn the Swamp, Secret of the Swamp, then Outer Space, then the six one-shots. Then he did something with Albatross Press, which was Fearless Dawn in number seven, now we're doing cold and shorts and then he's got a bunch of other one shots ready to go so and then there was also there were three stories that were in heavy metal magazine that we're going to collect and those are also kind of i guess kind of else worlds i don't know where they take place in the continuity but they're these weird sci-fi tales with fearless dawn and i forget the actual issues but they were between 278 and 300 and they're just three different Fearless Dawn tales, which are pretty cool. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, the Bombs pre-orders just ended, but Cold's pre-orders are open right now, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. You have till February 18th. But um, it, it always helps Like if anyone is out there and they go into their comic stores, just mention Fearless Dawn to your comic book retailer. That always helps if he keeps hearing it and requests for it then the comic stores will carry it. And that's always the goal is to have the book always on the shelves. Um, That is always difficult for an independent comic book publisher to get a comic store to order an independent comic book and carry it. Because if they don't know it, they usually won't carry it. And we do have somewhat of a fan base, but we need, we definitely need to, you know, build it up more so that, you know, I'd love to be selling like 10,000 copies. Like that's where I think it should be. 
I was saying before, I, I think anybody who's not currently following Asylum Press and not keeping up with you guys is missing out. The fact that you, Frank, have been so hands-on with everything in this and that you've been so open to being the one to receive the messages, being the one to talk to the fans and sending out these newsletters to make sure that everybody's caught up with everything, it's been amazing. And even with a lot of you know indie presses, we don't see enough of that. Again, I, <laughs> I wish I had you know some help or some people, but um, you know, with Kickstarter, Kickstarter's definitely been a help with the raising of funds, I have to say. And some some comic publishers just do Kickstarter and they do these really small print runs. But we like to be able to use Kickstarter, use Diamond. We just signed with, um, you know, uh, Lunar distributors and a bunch of smaller distributors and guys that do conventions and sell at shows. So we really are trying to use every means necessary to get the books out there to whether they're sold at stores or comic conventions. Like a lot of people don't have a local comic store. So they go to these monthly conventions or they'll buy online or they'll buy on eBay or whatnot. Again, I'm on whatnot. If you guys aren't on whatnot, that's another place where I've, you know, found new buyers where they come into my stream and they're like, you know, who's asylum press? I never heard you guys. So there's a lot of ways to get the stuff out there, but it's still, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot, a lot of work to do it all, you know, cause I'm really kind of like a one-stop shop. Like I do most of the orders myself. I do the social, I do the newsletter. I send the books to the printer. We have a pre-press guy, but you know, I'm writing the press releases. I'm sending them out. Um, we're just a small company that, you know, just loves comics and loves horror, you know? I love to see it. You can tell that the love is there and you can really see where all those influences are. Like you had kind of mentioned earlier, the eerie and creepy. I started with those. I have a box full of them. It's just such a shame that the the anthology doesn't have the following that it used to. It, I mean, it's there. Like, do you guys read, I don't know if you're, you know, Rich Sala's uh, Warrant Publishing where he was doing The Creeps and now it's Shudder. Yep. Like that guy, like we're, I'm friends with Rich and he doesn't live too far from me here in California. But, you know, he's someone that's really made it work. Like he does really good numbers and print runs and he has a really big collector base and he's really hands-on too. Like he'll oversee the printing because they're printed here in California. He'll oversee the printing. He'll go to the place when it's being printed. He'll adjust the, he'll tell them to adjust the ink because he only <laughs> wants it on that newsprint. He wants the covers to be a certain way. And, you know, he sends out all of the, he does all the mail orders. He writes the stories. He's the editor. So he's one of those guys also that's really hands-on too. And he's, because he publishes obviously with a frequency that's regular, he's able to build up a fan base, but he has definitely a, he does have a big fan base for the anthology and for the retro anthology. Like a lot of those people that read shutter and the creeps are fans of very creepy for sure. Yeah. Um, so that, that fan base is out there. I'm just saying that we need to tap into it better. Right. <laughs> Our numbers aren't quite that high. So how do we find those readers and bring them to us is like, is our, our struggle, you know? I hope that our listeners and our festival goers are uh, among some of these new clicks that you get on the site. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing my due diligence. I'm, what is it, tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to go to the comic shop right after work tomorrow. Start asking around, see what I can dig up. Yep. Asylum, Asylum Press. Do you carry Asylum Press titles? Do you have any back issues? Do you have Fearless Dawn? Are you carrying these books? You know, so all that little stuff, it's much appreciated and every little bit helps for sure. Especially with uh, Anomaly Machine on the horizon. <laughs> Bro, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I'll, show you, I'll show you a little bit of Undead Evil too, because you probably haven't seen this. This is Undead Evil. So this is our, it's kind of voodoo meets Lovecraft is how I would describe it. It's a story that takes place in New Orleans in the swamps with voodoo zombies, not George A. Romero zombies. So there's a different mm -hmm. type of zombie if you look into the lore, mixing it with Lovecraftian creatures and lore and that kind of stuff. And this is drawn, and I love using these guys from Europe because they just have a different style of storytelling. Ninad is from Serbia, Croatia. And if you just look at this stuff, he just draws the most horrific looking creatures, <laughs> zombies, I wanted it in black and white and you just don't see stuff like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
He's got a black and white style that does not look like anybody else. Maybe it, you could say it kind of resembles Simon Bisley, but he's his own thing. And I don't know who his influences are. Like, look at that page of that zombie <laughs> biting this guy in the neck and the worms and in, in his eyes. And I mean, it's just crazy. And every panel is like jumps out as like horror. So this is another book that we want to complete. And I would say you can read Undead Evil if comicsology is still up, you can read issues one and two there digitally, but we never really did it in print because we wanted to finish it. So we have about 48 pages done. It's about a 64 to 80 page book. So we're getting there. But Amazing. this is another book that's a labor of love, right? If anybody is listening and not watching right now, I highly encourage them to go over, even if you're not watching us specifically, go to Asylum Press, look at some of the previews for Undead Evil because this is incredible. I love like the, it's almost got like a tactile element to it. Like I can almost like feel those drawings. The right. it, it's oh, it's giving me like a like yuck right now. Doza, this is, reminds me of what you were saying about um, Junji Ito's single frames earlier. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. It's it's got like that. And then speaking of anthologies too, this is another one that we did. This was Eek. This is a creator from Australia, Jason Paulos who writes, draws, letters, colors. He does everything too. Really inspired by, you know, 70s DC, I would say. And he would come up with these stories that he would draw each story in kind of a little bit of a different style. So when you looked at it, you would think, oh, wait, this guy looks like Wrightson or this guy looks like Ernie Chan or this guy looks like Nestor Redondo or any of those guys that drew in the 70s. But it's all him, just just like he can switch his mind on and off to draw in these different styles. So when you looked at the book, it looked like it was like five different artists. <laughs> and it was really all Jason Paulos. So Eek is another one. And he's got like probably 400 pages of short horror stories that he's done. And we've collected them into one trade. The rest are digital on comiXology. But again, it's, it's the love of the short horror story and the black and white stuff. I mean, look at this stuff. It looks like, eerie creepy or the black and white versions of the collections of like house of mystery house of secrets and stuff like that absolutely i jumped on the halloween issue of this one when you guys kickstarted it oh yeah right right that's another one i got yep right here in front of me <laughs> yeah so if anyone if, if any of your fans are you know into crowdfunding you can always follow asylum press on kickstarter we're going to try to do three or four um things a year um, if we can, and kickstarting always helps us with raising funds for the print, you know, so that's, you know, one thing we're doing and, you know, another brand, I guess you could say that I'm trying to launch is this thing called Franken horrors. I am so, obsessed with these. So what Franken horrors is, is my version of the classic movie monster, right? So the first collection I have is the terror collection. So it's, you know, the swamp beast, the vampirus, the werewolf, the demon, the bride character, and then the skull. Now, some of these you could like, oh, that's like werewolf, like the universal monsters werewolf movie. But some of these characters are just like a skull. Like I just had to have a skull in there because, you know, maybe it's not related closely to a movie, but then again, I just, I didn't want everything to be connected exactly to a movie. I just wanted the feel of the classic horror film and the classic comic book. So it's really classic monsters from comic book, TV and film rendered in a comic book style. And I'm doing stickers and I'm doing enamel pins in the second set, which I'm calling the vampire collection. So that's like Dracula vampire fangs. I think I'm calling her, Thang Fatale. Now I kind of changed it. <laughs> Great. I'm giving them all these names like Vampire Goth, Vampire Bat, the Vampire Hag. Um, so that's the Vampire Collection. Then there's going to be the Horror Collection. There's going to be the Sci-Fi Collection. So each one is going to have six characters, which is going to come be in a enamel pin, a vinyl sticker, and a print. Like you can see some of these like here – if you go on Asylum Press's website or frankenhorrors.com goes to the Asylum Press store. I haven't built out frankenhorrors.com yet, but, you know, 
you can see, you know, each one is an enamel pin, a sticker, and, you know, we're going to be doing apparel, I think, maybe on some, uh, we did some test apparel that looks pretty good, but. Oh, I'm a sucker for a good t-shirt, a good hoodie. I think these designs are amazing and I would love to wear more of them. And Those prints look to clean too. At either. Uh, I have one of the, I think I have the goth vampire sticker. Um, that's a, it's a good size. Five inches. We're trying to do five inches. Um, just cause you know, I don't know. It looks better, bigger, I guess I could say. You There's know? so much detail in it. You don't want to miss out on that. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, I'm trying to, and, the, I was talking with Monty Beauchamp, who was, you know, does Blab. I don't know if you guys seen Blab. They're relaunching that, I think, at Dark Horse. And he came up with the idea of, like, why don't you make these characters in a comic book, like horror hosts? And I'm like, yeah, I was just creating these characters. But he's like, you know, they would probably sell better if people could relate to who these characters are, if they had names and personalities. So I'm thinking that Frankenhorrors might be like a quarterly anthology where these different horror hosts will introduce stories kind of like in the classic sense of the horror anthology. So I'm so cool. throwing that out there and thinking about it um, to be part of the Franken horrors brand. But, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's hard to do everything. Right. Cause I, draw, right. Like, <laughs> I ship orders. If I get a storyboard job that could take me out of circulation for like four weeks or eight weeks. So it's just, you know, I love the medium and I love creating horror stuff, but, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of work. And, you know, I put in, you know, 12, 14 hour days, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, you have a lot on your plate. You have a lot to manage here. And it's incredible how much you've been able to, you know, put out through Asylum Press and put out through all of your work between doing the storyboarding and, like you said, doing all of the comics yourself. Yeah. And then trying to get them out there, you know, do conventions like we do um, a really good horror convention for horror fans out there is um, Monsterpalooza. They have Monsterpalooza and Son of Monsterpalooza. And that's really good because it's in Pasadena and Burbank. And there's a lot of special effects guys that work in the business in Hollywood, monster makers, creature makers, illustrators, Chet Zar is there a lot of the time, you know, people that just do horror art and dark art and mask makers. And it's just a really good, well-attended convention, you know, if you're into horror. I know on the East Coast, they I used to do, because I'm from Connecticut originally, I used to do, uh, <laughs> what is that, what is that show? Uh, where did, oh, uh, Chiller Theater, right in Jersey. Yeah. I think Connecticut has a couple. And then Fango used to be in Connecticut. But what are the conventions around near you guys where you do there's like, slim pickings we uh our our horror film festival is really one of the last ones standing when it comes to like a horror themed convention out here we've been doing pretty good because we're starting to get a more spooky atmosphere and put the emphasis on fear on that one uh we just got haunted house of hamburgers out here uh we just got strange love parlor who was one of our vendors um, and all of these companies, like, and we have the Monster Gallery, all of these companies are starting to band together to bring more horror out here. So Strange Love just started a book club and they started movie screenings. Um, we obviously, we have our festival and we try and do events in between there. You guys are a film festival and a convention, kind of like the love, the HP Lovecraft convention. Like they have, they're a film festival, I think in Portland, right? But it's also yeah. a convention or there's one in rhode island too that's necronomicon necronomicon that's like festival and it's a con right it's like yeah combined that's that's the goal like you know to make it a weekend long event and have you know uh vendors guests musicians music going the whole time and of course i i would love to make you know comics and art a bigger part of what we're doing right now it's mostly film some vendors but if we can get uh, a, a closer mix that that is the goal yeah right i mean i think it's just a matter of finding a local horror artist that's near you and just inviting him to be you know a vendor you know give him a table and then from that you might attract other 
local horror comic creators. Now, you guys are also into haunted houses too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so another fun fact about me, I don't always mention it, but in Connecticut, we – what was that? The haunted house that was up in Massachusetts, Spooky World, right? We went to Spooky World one year and we were like, oh, my God, we could do this. So the <laughs> next year, we started a company called Stage Fright Studios. Now, they're not around anymore, but it was in the 90s. And we made these really high-end animatronic props for haunted houses. And the thing we noticed about these haunted house props is they were always really cheesy and really non-scary. So we made this haunted house in Shelton, Connecticut one year called the Asylum of Horrors. And um, we built these really scary animatronics and they were really high end. We had lights. We had all of our friends. Normally when you see people in haunted houses, they're like young kids. We had all of our six foot friends go in there and they were big and they were hunky and they were stinky and they were scary. So the people that were doing the scaring were really truthfully like, like they could scare people. And a lot of people went to that haunted house and were like, Oh my God, that was the scariest haunted house I've ever been in. And they would go through it two and three times because it wasn't like anything that was around that spooky world was cool, but we had animatronics and this like scare factor because we had the whole soundtrack. That's amazing. We made this thing called the gnarled quagmire of flesh and bone. We did the haunted clock. We had all of these. The, the problem we found was, is that we were building this super high end props that wouldn't break. And the, the, the price we had to charge for them was so much more than what haunted houses wanted to spend at the time. We couldn't really sell them because they were used to buying cheap stuff. And we were like, no, you got to understand this stuff will last and last and last over the years. It's not going to break. They just couldn't see it. They just wanted to buy cheap stuff. So we were around for a little while. We did Sally. We did the big haunted conventions. And I just don't think my partner could make it where it was feasible to be profitable. But um, a lot of our stuff is still out there and it still works. And it's like 20 years later. Maybe the urethane is degraded, but um, <laughs> that, that those animatronics, those pneumatics were built to last. That's so cool. You have to bring the comic book off the page into the real world. Look, I like all aspects of horror. Comics, haunted houses, film. I'm into all of it. It sounds like it. It sounds like you've got your place in all of it, too. I try. I try for sure. This has been so awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Frank. It's been so cool to get this behind the scenes scoop of Asylum Press and everything that you've been working on and everything that you guys have coming out. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I love sharing uh, the information. It's great to, you know, talk with you guys and hopefully, you know, reach a new fan base. Um, you know, the world of indie horror, you know, is small, but I think it's, you know, the fans, when you finally get out to them, um, they're hardcore, they're dedicated, and um, hopefully we can entertain people, scare people, shock people, and back and forth, you know. I can say from my personal experience with your comics, they do not disappoint. Uh, so typically when uh, we're wrapping out an episode, I give everyone a fear of the day, uh, and I'll give you guys a chance to guess what the meaning of the fear is. Are you guys ready? Okay. Oh, yeah. The fear of the day is pentillerphobia. And what 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 is what is it a fear of? I'll tell you guys this much. It is a good thing that Frank doesn't have this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the amazing comics that we have today. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Does is is pen part of it? Does that matter? Kind, kind of. Oh, my it God. It doesn't is not it- matter. Is it like the fear of ink? Uh, yeah, it is the... No way. It's the fear of ink. More specifically, <laughs> it's the fear of getting uh, the ink of a pen on you. That's a trip. I was going to say the fear of art or fear of drawing or something, but that's interesting. Fear of there, getting ink on you. There is a name for the fear of drawing, but I can't remember what it is. We should have done that one. <laughs> Very cool. I'm glad I don't. I definitely don't have that fear. I've gotten ink all over my hands. I actually prefer like getting back in and drawing comics because I do a lot of storyboards or digital comics I've done digitally and like Steve Mannion's work for instance all traditional he writes wow letters 
it's all there on the page. Like he, he doesn't even want to work digitally. He colors digitally, I, would, I should say. But I used to like that in the 90s where I could just sit in my studio, lay out a page, just have a light table to trace stuff over, use a crow quill, ink and a brush and just create the work and look at old Bernie Wrights and stuff and and have old tales from the crypt because I'd look at Graham Engels and I have new stuff like Tim Vigil's Faust and just try to look at the ink work and figure out how they were doing it. And just, um, you know, it was just a very peaceful kind of time. Like you didn't have to worry about social media. I feel like the social media thing is like a little bit of an addiction where I put, I try to turn my phone off and then I'm like, did I get an email? Did I get an order? Did I get a response? And I just didn't have that, like, those quirks in the 90s like you would check your answering machine you know it's a lot and a lot to keep up with i can't imagine having to churn out content daily with the field that you're in to keep up with social media and where can people find you on social media right now frank so asylum press is asylumpress.com and asylum press at on twitter instagram and tiktok um, my art site is frank forte art that's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And frankforte.com is where they can find my art and other stuff, um, prints and whatnot. Um, and Goon Cartoons, if you like animation, I have a YouTube site called Goon Cartoons. If you just search on YouTube, it's a lot of old vintage, like rubber hose style 1930s cartoons, but I also do some original stuff and post uh, little shorts and just little weird trailers and quirky things like that. Um, and, you know, Asylum Press is um, on Kickstarter so people could follow us there and learn about upcoming Kickstarters. And we'll be kickstarting, you know, Anomaly Machine, Asylum of Horrors, a bunch of horror titles, trade paperbacks. We're going to try to do um, three to four a year. So, you know, any support of in the horror community would uh, definitely be appreciated. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that's it. We'll be at Monster Palooza and Comic-Con in 2023 coming up. So any fans on the West Coast could uh, see me there in person. Awesome. Thanks so All much, right, yeah. We also like to give our readers, uh, our listeners, a recommendation at the end of the episode. Do you have anything that you want to recommend to them? Anything that you're reading right now? Or anything that you've watched recently? Uh, let's see. I mean, for horror stuff recently, I mean, I'm liking Cabinet of Curiosities. Um, for the most part, I think some of the endings maybe could have been um, <laughs> a little bit better. We are all on the same page with that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. And I, I feel like there could have been more of a payoff. I really like Creep Show. I think that's kind of more like cool stories twist ending with the comic book stuff in there um so i would say uh yeah creep show and shutter i kind of like what i see on there does do you have a recommendation for the day yeah i mean like outside of um all the asylum press stuff that i've been reading the last couple of weeks um i've been reading uh the series ice cream man pretty regularly for a couple of years now that uh each issue is sort of like um, a standalone story. And so each trade volume is a bit of an anthology on its own, but all relating to the eponymous ice cream man, who is some sort of malevolent entity. And it's more psychological horror. And like each issue ends with me just feeling a little bit more disgusting and depressed than I was before I started. I know people really like that book. It's one of the, it's one of the things that, people point out when they talk about horror or anthologies where that is kind of an anthology and it's got kind of a horror host, I guess, but yeah, mm -hmm. each story is different and it does really well. People really like it. And I, I picked up a few issues. I got to sit down and read. It's like, I just don't have time to, I, there's a, there's a, there's a, I forget the term, but there's a term for it in Japanese. Someone that buys books, but doesn't read them. It's a thing. It's like a thing over there. And it's like a thing with me. Like I'll go to the comic shop, I'll buy these books and I'll never find time to read them because I'm always so busy with other stuff. So it is a, another problem that I have to uh, fix, you know, but uh, yeah, I've heard that that ice cream man's really good. And uh, my recommendation, I am going to support another indie comic. Um, it is called thirsty for love. 
by Carmen Pizarro. <laughs> it is a one-off, but damn, does it feel like that era of like weird comics. It uh, really gets into that sci-fi horror romance mix. Um, so you can find that on Carmen's website at CarmenPizarro.com. Was that in print or was it just like a one-shot floppy or is a one-shot trade paperback? Uh, it's a one-shot paperback. How many pages? Ooh, good question. I want I want to say it's like 36. Kind of like a short story. That's cool. And yeah. Out there, I'm just curious, like other indie creators, did he like kickstart it? Did he publish it through Diamond or is he just doing a small print run or just digital? I think she just did a small print run. She's got it um, on her website. Uh, I think it's like made to order. Uh-huh. Oh, like wow. print on demand or something. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. And I'm Frank Forte. Happy haunting. We'll see you in hell. Mm-hmm.